0: Good morning, church. Good morning. It's a joy to be with you this morning. Uh, we're going to be uh, looking at uh, a little bit from uh, Matthew chapter 10 and focusing on the first part of Matthew chapter 11. Uh, my wife and I have just enjoyed uh, these couple days to be with you. Uh, some of you heard us introduce ourselves. We're both PKs. She's a pastor's kid. I'm a pagan kid. And that gives us all the spiritual gifts that we need for... Uh, Doing the work that we do we've been with the International Mission Board. I I had a big fight with God Uh, When I came to Christ in a factory uh, It's interesting I came to Christ in a factory when I was 18 years of age working nights to go college while still in high school and uh, It's probably about two or three hundred yards from a church when God reached down and saved my soul and and one of my biggest arguments with him was now I'm stuck in the hills and hollers of Kentucky, and I'll never get to go anywhere. And I've just followed my wife, who follows the Holy Spirit, that's usually the way it works, uh, to our 83rd country. And it's just been a wonderful, a wonderful journey with God. Uh, To find out, to discover for ourselves that what God had for us to send us to lost people was not for us primarily, especially when we go among believers in persecution, to share with them who Jesus is and what the Bible is all about is to go to people today like the Apostle Paul like Simon Peter like those saints throughout the Old and New Testament go to them today and sit at their feet and learn from brothers and sisters who've been beaten for their faith in prison for their faith lost their children for the faith and listen to the joy in Christ that they have because they have been deemed worthy to suffer with Jesus. What about that, church? What, what about, what indeed, if in the Bible, suffering, persecution is normal? It is normal for most believers today. I don't need you to, I don't need to tell you you're abnormal. You already know that. You don't cheer for the Kentucky Wildcats, so you're not near the kingdom of God, all right? And so uh, uh, to understand that most of the body of Christ today take great joy that they're worthy to suffer for Christ. But there's always a crisis comes. I, I grew up pretty tough, family of seven, Six of us boys, Uh, I'm the second oldest, but I'm the runt of the family. My sister was born about the time I went off to college. We were raised tough in construction and and on the farm. I, I, uh, my earliest memories of being probably four years of age was buying a horse for $10 and growing up uh, on the farm and things like that. Uh, Then the Lord took us uh, as a couple to the country of Malawi, where God had the season. Us a little bit more in different ways we lost a running battle with malaria and uh, were offered the choice to transfer to South Africa or to come home to America and so we didn't think that America knew anything about uh, mosquitoes and malaria so we went to South Africa and we're and worked there in the, about the last seven years of apartheid now folks uh, my, my family considered anybody, not from our county and our state, one of them foreigners, right? You all know what that's like. Uh, I mean, we considered Texas to be a foreign country, and, and I still do, uh, by the way. <laughs> they have to have their own passport and all of that. And, 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 and I, I grew up in a place where we were so defined. You know, we were an Old Testament family. Because anybody that wasn't us was outside of us. And and that Old Testament is so much uh, filled with what puts you outside of the family of God. And the New Testament is all about all the things that God does you to draw in uh, you to the kingdom of God. By the way, we have one of the greatest jobs on the world, on the planet. You know what we get to do? We get to take young men and women, sometimes, oftentimes second career people, and we get to prepare them to get on a plane in the New Testament and get off the plane in the Old Testament. Folks, that's what we get to do. And I promise you, when you go from being sheep among the sheep uh, uh, to doing like it's talking about in chapter 10 of Matthew, and you become a, a sheep among the wolves where the wolves are in the majority, wow, you'll find that's hardly, there's, there's very little in American-believing culture that has prepared you to get off the plane in the Old Testament and walk out there and have the wolves look at you and smile the first time I went among Somalis I went to a refugee camp up the coast of Mombasa an older worker told me "Uh, Nick you go in there you keep your mouth shut because you've never been among Muslims like this and they eat little people little missionaries like you for lunch and here you are, you have 10,000 people, can you imagine? Their life has been reduced to one refugee camp. They're doctors and lawyers and professionals and, and university students who have fled Mogadishu, just got off of one of those uh, uh, boats and, and they're surrounded by 10 feet uh, uh, wire with razor wire at the top, one gate in, one gate coming out. And I go down there and, and uh, walking around trying to learn what these Somalis were like, trying to discern is this where God's pointing us because uh, we were seasoned a little bit in Malawi and then seasoned some more under apartheid in South Africa. And, you know, I was raised, not only were other, not only do we consider other uh, 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 white people outside of our immediate family, we, we had racist words for everybody, and, and I was raised to be a racist. And I remember the first time that South African white police picked me up and took me to the police station, and they were just puzzled, not angry, not mean. They wanted to know why my wife and our three children were living on the black side of the border, and they wanted to know why I loved black people. And I sat in that police station and wept for joy for where Jesus had brought me from and to that I could, I could get arrested. I could get arrested for loving black people. That was a good day. That was a really good day. Some of my ancestors turned over in their grave, but that's okay. They ought to. We should have buried them face down in the first place, but uh, <laughs> I'm teasing. <laughs> I'll pay for that one okay you can stop now it's bad when you carry your conscience outside your body and so I'm sort of checking with my conscience over here things are not looking good all right and so I I just all of this was was in my DNA and and God seemed to bring all this together and thinking that that I'd been toughened by my family life and toughened in pride uh, proud for, of what we did in Malawi and and deciding uh, 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 to defy malaria and stay in Africa and then living under apartheid and finding myself in this refugee camp with these Muslims. And on the third day, I just thought, hey, take a shot. And so I asked uh, my young college student, interpreter, person, uh, uh, Abdi, do you know Jesus, my friend? And he just, he went off on me. And he just began yelling for people and shouting. And this big crowd came a, 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 around us. And, and the more that they gathered, the more I was forced into the little chain-link fence behind me. And, 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 and I didn't know Somali language. We didn't know the culture at this time. We didn't know that Somalis were just really demonstrative. And, and, and they like, uh, they, they give directions with their tongue. Isn't that cool? Where's Mohammed? Muhammad. <laughs> and I'll stop there. But it's just so fun to learn their culture, learn their language, and just watch them shout and wave their arms. And all I could hear was Nick this and Ripkin that and Jesus, Jesus this. And I'm thinking, I'm dead. I'm dead. I'll never get out of here. They told me to keep my mouth shut. I couldn't do it. Uh, now I've really offended uh, 10,000 hostile uh, or as we say in Kentucky Hostile uh, uh, Muslims And I'll never see uh, Ruth and the kids again And after they argued And pushed and shoved for about 15-20 minutes They turned back to me and, and Abdi looked at me And I thought it was anger It really wasn't anger But it was something else He said, Nick, we, we don't know your friend Jesus But Mahmoud thinks he's heard about him And thinks he's in the refugee camp down the road <laughs> So if you'll go out the gate Turn left Go to the next refugee camp and ask at the gate for Jesus. Maybe they'll find him for you there. This tough redneck went out the gate, went right, got a taxi, and flew back to Nairobi. (laughs) And I said, Jesus, if you want these people, you can have them. (laughs) But I made a mistake, and I said, Honey, you know, we're talking about going to Somalia. Why don't we pray about this? See, I'd already decided, but she actually prayed, so we ended up in Somalia for seven years. And so, next time I won't ask her to pray. I'll just ask her to pack. But, uh, but, but, but to go in a people group. In a people group where, in 1991, we were there before uh, military folks came in. We were there almost uh, two or three years afterwards, and just slowly got uh, edged out till we had to evacuate late in '97. But you can't imagine a place that in in 19 in 1991. There were 150 followers of Christ from Muslim background in Somalia. And by 1997, only four of them were left alive. Uh, sheep among wolves. See, uh, I'd always been a sheep among sheep. And I'd always believed that even if I went as sheep among wolves, that when they saw me and my witness coming, that satan would be so terrified he'd sort of lay down and roll over but to discover to discover that evil in present active tense everything that i ever saw satan do in the old testament and to rise up and try to defeat jesus in the new testament uh, we found satan evil still doing this but you know what we always already, already all also have found that everything that God has ever done in the Scriptures, God is still doing. He has not disarmed us, nor has he uh, disarmed himself. But we found that this is such a battle, such a battle, that those Elijahs, those who are like Jeremiah, those who have the gift like, like uh, uh, Simon Peter, those who are the proclaimers and the prophets, like John the Baptist, They come to the place when the persecution becomes so hard they can no longer carry themselves. And church, the scriptures, commands us to carry them when they can't carry themselves any longer and to stand for and to pray with. Uh, our brothers and sisters in chains and they're in chains for two reasons they wouldn't leave jesus alone and they wouldn't leave witness alone and here's john the baptist about to lose his head nearest thing that jesus ever had to a pastor baptized the lord himself heard the voice of god speak uh, uh, to jesus but now that he's facing his own demise not the future he thought was for himself. He sends word, and you've got to hear the brokenness, the despair in this. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, ask Jesus, are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? I never thought John the Baptist would ask a question like that. And i certainly certainly didn't think that jesus would reply to him the way he does in the first part of matthew chapter 11. i thought that jesus would say you go tell john i'm the lord you go tell john i'm the messiah you go tell john i'm the king of kings i'm the lord of lords I, I, i spoke this world into creation you go tell him i am the alpha and the omega but jesus shocked me Early on with his answers he said now listen I want you to hear this because this describes the New Testament trying to break into the Old Testament today today God has not stopped doing anything God has ever done Jesus said you go back to John and report what you hear and see does this trouble you all the blind receive sight the lame walk Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. And John, John, listen to me. When they sharpen the sword, when they take you out of that cage, blessed is anyone who does not stumble on the account of me. Ruth and I have been to seven 72 countries to set the feet of over 600 of your brothers and sisters to learn from them after the debacle of Somalia After watching a whole generation of believers wiped out. We asked Jesus some hard questions Jesus are you just for the safe places? Are you just for Western democracies? Are you just for being sheep among sheep because there's no evidence in Somalia that greater is he that is in me than he who is in the world. And we cried out to God that honestly as as your missionaries. It's not something I'm proud about. Folks, I I just had to be honest with God, uh, burying 20 babies a day, Uh, Having military folks protect us as we fed 50,000 people being about a mile away from where Black Hawk went down watching the church uh, 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 because of that uh, uh, horrible incident. Just almost condemned Somalis to eternity without access to Jesus But why should we ever be surprised when pagans act like pagans? When the first time that we as a denomination as a church as missionaries ever entered that country was early February 1992 for 2,000 years we said Somalis are not worthy of the blood of Jesus and so they act as Old Testament people always act and so we started going to the Soviet Union in China sitting at the feet of your brothers and sisters and say listen you're not only surviving persecution you're thriving I mean we're looking at four movements in China that had uh, about 10 million people in each movement And in the first place when we got out of the van that we'd been laying down in for 18 hours and they took us in a compound about half the size of this, maybe a third the size of this this auditorium, and there were 170 house church planters, uh, 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 evangelists and pastors, men and women, and they came running to me and their first question to me was, uh, has Jesus made it to other countries, or has He just come to China so far? Wow, that's isolation. And when they heard about you and your faith, they they danced, they laughed, they cried with joy because Jesus has made it to your country. And then they asked me a most penetrating uh, question. They said, "Listen, 40 percent of us, 40 percent of us in this compound today have been in prison for three years." Just because we were evangelist, church planners and pastors. What is church like? What is faith like in America? And, and, and they were so astounded to learn from about you. but I was astounded to I'm looking at a group of people that 40 percent of them have been in prison three years, for one reason, sharing Jesus with others when it was illegal. And seeing the house church. Explode in a place where the wolves thought they always had it under control and the Holy Spirit uh, turned the tables on them. They, they said to, to me, they said, Nick, you know what we, you know, prison in, in our country is our seminary, is our theological institution. It's in prison where we are really trained to do the gospel work. And uh, one night they asked me uh, late in the evening, after interviewing all day, they said, "Nick, now that you've learned for, uh, from us, it's time for you to teach us." And I said, "Okay, uh, this is going to be a train wreck. What are you going? What do you want me to teach?" They said, "Oh, oh, Mr. Seminary man, 40% of us have been in jail for three years for sharing the gospel. That means 60% of us have yet to go to jail." Would you mr. Seminary man teach us on how to prepare for prison? I wonder what course that was supposed to be We missed that course didn't we brother I I can you imagine I end up in Somalia? I had never preached nor heard a sermon all of my life on suffering and dying and being among the wolves for Jesus' sake and staying there and got behind enemy lines and did not have a clue how to serve Jesus in the tough places. And that's why we went to Believers in Persecution. Teach us how to thrive in suffering where where the Old Testament seemed to be in such control and now acts chapter 2 is breaking out That's what we get to do. That's what we get to do I interviewed this young dude About 25 years of age or so and heard his story in china and after he went away I I could tell this old man about 70 that gets younger all the time uh, 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 Trying to get my attention And, and I went over to him and he whispered in my ear you can't trust him I said, oh, he's from the government See Judas? He said, oh, no, no, no. He, he's, he's a good boy. You just can't trust him. He hasn't been to jail yet. <laughs> wow. Wow. And I heard their stories of how they would tear their Bibles. I watched them as they tore their Bibles into pieces so that each leader of the house church could go home with at least one book of the Bible. I saw them get up an hour early each day and fall on their faces before God and pray for the really persecuted believers in Somalia and Saudi Arabia. I, I saw and listened to them how they'd been to prison, how they planted churches in prison. And the more that they talked, the more that I heard their stories, the more I realized greater is He. I just had to look at the whole church and not just a piece of the church. And I said, wow, I want to be like these Chinese. I want to be like these Chinese. I I want to have stories like these brothers and see fruit in their lives like these brothers. And if Lord, if you can help me, I'll do that as long as I don't go to prison. (laughs) So I'm already negotiating that out. And just watching that, and then they asked me questions about you. About your holidays about how you worship and they asked me questions about this man and these people and this gift and these people and that place and these people and and as I described uh, what I thought looked like the New Testament as much as possible in my own country the leaders began to weep I mean without control and I know that I said God I don't know what I've done, but I've just offended everybody I know in China. And I don't know what to do. I felt like, (laughs) this will sound funny, but I felt like a husband because I know when I make Ruth mad, I don't need to find out what I've done to make her mad. I just need to apologize, right guys? Don't matter what you did, just apologize and get over it. And I looked at them and I said, I'm sorry, what did I do? What, what, what did I say to, to, to break you like this? And they said, oh, and this, this was so piercing in my heart. They said, oh, oh, Nick, why does God love believers in America more than he loves believers in China? I said, what? what? And I thought, wow, they're smoking something or they're just, they're delusional. I said, I said, the blind are seeing the are walking you're seeing millions of people come to christ thousands at a time uh, in prison you are sharing your bible uh, ripping it out so that everybody can have a piece of it and, and you're moving from house to house and you never meet more than 30 people at a time more than three days at a time and 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 this is just a great movement of god oh, what do you mean that god loves us more than he loves you in china and they said you don't understand i said i don't have a clue My wife must be Chinese I don't have a clue and they said to me Nick which is the greatest miracle that you've heard that 40% of us pastors church planners evangelists have been in prison for uh, uh, up to three years which is the greatest miracle That they are remaining faithful in prison and they have small chances to share the gospel before they are severely persecuted? And you tell us that today, today, the pastor of First Baptist Church in Norfolk, Virginia, can stand in this pulpit or he can stand on the street or he can stand outside of Walmart and he can preach the gospel for 24 hours, seven days a week. Maybe they'll politely escort him off the property, but no, none of you, if you attempt this, none of you will be beaten. None of you will lose your jobs. None of you will go to jail. None of you will be killed for doing what other believers around the planet are being killed for. They said, which is the greatest miracle? that our pastors have to move from place to place and they have to go to prison for their seminary or your pastors, you can go to seminary. You've watched us divide up the Bible, which is the greatest miracle that we, we have to tear it into pieces to share it with each other and you tell us you've got seven different versions of the Bible on your desk. Which is the greatest miracle, Ripkin. That that we we uh, are making our own songs. We have to hide our music. We have no cassette tapes. That was before MP3s. We have no way of recording, sharing. Uh, 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 having our music in a physical way and you tell us that you have headphones and you have choirs and you have even Christian radio stations that you can listen to every day, all day, which is the greatest miracle? Who does God love the most? You've watched maybe a 100,000 Chinese are healed of some illness and maybe, maybe... Through the grace of God, 100 of them can figure out that that miracle, that healing came from a God, the one God, and that his name is Jesus and they can find their way somehow to salvation. Ripkin, which is the greatest miracle. You tell us when you get your knees fixed, you can go to Jacksonville, Florida. You can, be, you can go to a Baptist hospital there. You can be operated by... A Baptist deacon out of First Baptist Church and he and the nurse and the anesthesiologist will lay hands on you and pray for you before the surgery during the surgery call you after the surgery and and we're trying because we have no access to medical care whatsoever that that God determines who to heal when he wants to heal them and 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 the wolves can't figure out from whence that come which is the greater miracle that we get to see a little bit of the blind seeing the deaf hearing and you're telling us that you have access to medical care Christian medical care 24 7 which is the greatest miracle we have to move from house to house we're getting busted all the time by the PSB the Public Security Bureau Uh, our leaders are put in jail and you're telling us that First Baptist Church in Norfolk can have As Many church services they want on many days of the week that they want and none of you will be beaten None of you will lose your jobs None of you will be taken to jail and put into a truck as you walk out of here and they said to me Ripken which is the greatest miracle? And brothers and sisters I, I wept like a broken child because I realized that this and this and this and this and you and where you are and what you get to experience and contribute to today is a miracle from the very throne of God. And we have come to treat it as something that we deserve, as something that it's every day, as something that's normal and not understanding that when we come in here and the music starts and the word is open and the the congregation stands and the ability even to to worship with our funds and money is one of the greatest miracles from the throne of God that about 80% of your brothers on the planet are crying out to God, oh, God, love us like you love these people this morning. Which is the greatest miracle? I met her in Afghanistan and Pakistan and that all that whole area long before any invasions there. She had miraculously as a 26-year-old come to Christ through dreams and visions and uh, her father, her, her, her fundamentalist father giving her a Bible that he had hidden in his desk drawer. And soon after coming to Christ, no one had ever told her she's supposed to keep Jesus to herself and that religion in her country is a personal matter. And she led almost uh, 30 Muslim women to Christ. And the Taliban were after her for a lot of reasons and the United Nations wanted to resettle her in St. Louis and I'm begging her to stay in her country. I'm begging her to do the biblical extraction And we would help her go from city to city trying to stay one step ahead of the bad guys and i said to her uh i i I don't have any right to say this to you but i think this is the holy spirit's message for your life that you may be the greatest hope for the salvation of afghan and pakistani women in your clan in your tribe and if you leave the biggest chunk of witness will be gone please stay And if you have to die for the cause of Christ, die for the cause of Christ, and then the rest of us will follow the harvest that comes after that. But the pressure on her from other workers and from the United Nations, she made it uh, uh, to St. Louis before I got home to Kentucky where uh, Ruth and uh, our kids were at the time. And soon after getting home, we called her. and and made arrangements to fly her uh, into Kentucky where she could spend a week with our family. And and we helped sort of acclimate her to America. And and we get the honor. Can you imagine this? We've done this a lot of times since 1991. We get get the honor of taking a a Muslim background believer or a Hindu background believer or a Buddhist background believer. We get to, to, to let them experience worship like you call common. We let them... We get to let uh, them experience it for the first time. Can you imagine watching them worship for the first time? Can you imagine taking a Somali believer to a Kenyan church uh, and, and watch him worship for the first time in the house of God? And our whole Somali team just loses it, weeping Crush, broken at the sheer joy on his face for the first time he gets to hear the songs ring out and the Word of God proclaimed and nobody's gonna be shocked. On Sunday morning <clears throat> of that day, the church was baptizing a whole family, a father, a wife, mother, and three teenagers in a baptistry uh, not unlike this it's full it's warm it's ready for you and as the baptismal service took place your sister from the borders of some hard countries began to have I thought a panic attack and sitting between Ruth and I she began to fidget and move up and down and I whispered to her I said what's wrong do you need to go out she said no no she said i never in my wildest dreams i never imagined i never i never could even dream that there was one place in the world where an entire family could be baptized together in public and no one's going to be killed no one's going to jail no one's going to be beaten the girls are not going to be married off to older men i never dreamed this could happen and she said i think i'm going to shout I said, well, shout, sister. They kick you out. I'll go with you. (laughs) And she said, but look at everybody. Look. Why are they just sitting there? Why aren't they standing up and cheering and, and clapping? I never believed in my life that there could be such a miracle as I'm watching this morning. What's wrong with these people? And I said, oh, God, forgive me for calling this common and every day and what i deserve when it comes from the very throne of god church finish this sentence for me if you are in the earlier services please be quiet because this will be prayed in thousands of pulpits around the world this will be prayed in tens of thousands of sunday schools around the world this is so telling of what we think of the miracles from the throne of God, and what we, how we interact with it. Finish this prayer for me. Thank you, God, that we live in a country where we're free to. What'd you say? hundred percent so far. And I wonder, why don't we ever be like believers in persecution and say, God? We thank you this morning that we live in a country where I'm free to witness. Why do we make it about ourselves rather than making it about those wolves who live a hellish life in this life and they have no possibility seemingly in eternity for a life that's any different? Your brothers and sisters, in persecution, say to you, don't pray for me to be uh, rescued from my persecution. Pray with us that we will be obedient through our suffering. That's a very, very different prayer. As As the miracle gets ready, they kill for something like this. There's nobody over here singing, so I can't look over there. There he comes. I, uh, I wish you could go to Sub-Saharan Africa with us. When I first started doing the missionary thing there, in mud huts all over Malawi and South Africa, as I preached on a little platform about this tall, As I began to speak, uh, two or three men or women would come up and stand next to me, and I'm looking at them at the side of my eyes, like, wonder what this is going on, and then 15 or 20 or uh, 30 or 40 out of, maybe 50 out of the 60 people will come up and stand next to me, and I had no clue what this mob was doing, and I finally found out that in their culture, when they hear the Word of God proclaimed and the New Testament breaks out, they will come and stand next to the speaker as if to say, I agree with everything this man is saying, and if I could speak, this is what I would talk about. And you know what, being such a new worker and and, and coming from such a Baptist background, I didn't know what to do with these people when we got to the time of invitation. I had to make them all go back and sit down so they could come forward at the invitation. And maybe this is what this is about. It's just time again for you to reclaim the miracle that you have a place to sit like this. That you have the ability to worship like this. You can hear the gospel that believers in persecution have bought you. That believers in persecution have bought you a space of time. They're keeping Satan so occupied in other places that you... Have a time to prepare for what's coming. Perhaps, along with the blood of Jesus, their suffering gives you this miracle. And maybe you need to come and give your life to Christ and say, God, I agree with you. Maybe you just need to come and pray and fill up this altar in this area and just say, oh, Lord, if I could speak, this is what I'd say. And I so agree with what the Holy Spirit is coming is saying that I will never call sitting in this church a common thing, a normal thing, what I deserve anymore, that when I walk into this sanctuary, I will know that I'm participating in a miracle from the throne of God. And we can go to your brother in prison in Pakistan today, in Iran today, he's asking, are you the most is Jesus the Messiah, or should we look for someone else? How should we answer them? I'll say First Baptist Church pastors preaching the gospel, that the orchestra is playing for the glory of God, and the Uh, The ministry team is singing for the glory of God and we're worshiping because of the glory of God and just by telling them about what God is doing in your midst, the blind are seeing, the lame are walking, the lepers are being cleansed because they would see this experience today as we explain it to them as a unbelievable miracle from the throne of God and dare we call it what Jesus died to give you this morning. As we worship, come pray. Give your life to Christ. Come and be obedient and claim the miracle that you are in Jesus' name.